Good morning. Um, Caroline, I feel like your testimony was my sermon. So, and I'm glory to God. If you were, if you were wondering where we were headed with forgiveness, we are headed to freedom in our hearts and softening. Um, so, this is going to be good, friends. So we're on a we're in a sermon series at the moment on restoration. Let us not forget that we are restored restorers. What God does in us, we do in the world among us. And um, friends, it's been an intense. There goes an earring. Um, that's fine. It's been an intense couple of weeks. So you might remember a couple of weeks ago we heard a sermon from Anne, who talked to us about denying ourselves what it really looks like to deny ourselves for Christ. And then last week we heard about confrontation. Did anyone else sweat the whole way through, right? Um, God's invitation to press into hard conversations for the purpose of restoring people and holiness and for the purpose of restoring relationships. Now, these may have been uncomfortable messages, but what we're doing, I think, is we're we're setting this plumb line of truth so that we know what God expects. There's a lot of nuance in how we live out these things in our own context. Um, but God is inviting us to see the bar that he has and really to see the tremendous goodness in that bar that he sets as we live our lives headed that way. He is so good. And so this morning's message is similar. And so I want to invite you, um, think of yourself as like a a piece of wood that's made to be a staff, and God is sandpaper with his word, right? We are being buffed out and smoothed and straightened so that each one of us points straight to heaven. Sandpaper, that's the sweating. It's the sandpaper, okay? All right, so this morning, we're in Matthew 18. This is a section of scripture that one commentary that I read labeled, Qualities and Attitudes of Kingdom Citizens. So Matthew 18 opens with the disciples asking Jesus a question. They say, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what follows is Jesus really laying out the DNA of his kingdom, the qualities and attributes that he expects of those in his kingdom. So he first talks about receiving that kingdom like little children. And really what that means is reshaping the ways that we view everything. We're looking at lenses. And he goes on to give us those new lenses. And this morning we're talking about the lens of forgiveness, which is so closely tied to what we heard last week. Remember, um, if you weren't here, Pastor Dave said, before you enter into a confrontation with another brother or sister, make sure you forgive at home first. Do your forgiveness work first. And so this morning we're going to do some learning about what, what that is. As one theologian said, the honor of being blamed and forgiven is reserved for the children of God. It's an honor to do this work together. And so without further comment, let's read from Matthew 18. I'm going to start at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now we think this is stingy. Seven. None of us would be friends anymore, right? At seven, seven times. But rabbis actually taught that three was the number. You would forgive a human three times, and then you were allowed to move on. And so Peter's actually being really generous. Like, Lord, 
I'll forgive a person like seven times a day. Like, look at my grace. But Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we should keep a log, and when we get to like 77 with a person, we're done. The point here is like forgiveness into perpetuity. 77, there, there is no end to the forgiveness required. We give forgiveness as long as someone requires it. And to make his point even clearer, Jesus goes on, verse 23. He tells a story. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his sermon or with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Scholars debate on what number that really is, but it's up to $2 billion. $2 billion. The point is, it's not really logical how this man racked up this much debt, and it is impossible to consider that he could ever even begin to pay it back. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and everything he had be sold to repay that debt. This is a measure of justice, but not restitution. It still would not cover his debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled his debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, like a, like a co-worker, and he owed him a hundred silver coins. And, and they say that's about three months' wages. So this is something that you actually could pay back. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. The English translation word here is like to throttle. Aggression. He began to choke him and he said, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees with the same plea. He begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Or as some translations say, with a pure heart. This is the word of the Lord. So um, when, I, when I enter into sermon preparation, I pray many things. Um, but one of the things that I pray for is that God would give me like the very clear illustrations and application, like the sticking points that you remember, right? So I'm asking the Lord for this. I'm, I'm out in my front yard playing with my son, and my neighbor lady Judy beelines for my driveway. She is booking. And she, without real prompt, begins to share with me. She said, I know you're a pastor. I've got two sons, and one of them is dead. 
She said, I've got one other son, and he won't talk to me, and I don't know why. She said, I love Jesus, and I love my grandbabies, and I used to watch them once a week. Every single week, I would drive two hours to see them, and out of nowhere, they told me to stop coming, and they blocked my number, and they won't talk to me, and I don't know why. She's got tears in her eyes, and she said, I know they've had two more babies since then. My daughter told me that, but I don't even know their names. She said, I would have loved those babies to pieces. We're standing on the driveway crying. She says, what do you say to that? I know Jesus says that I need to forgive, but I don't even know where to start. So I said to her, you know, I'm actually writing a sermon on that, and I don't know what to tell you. She said, you can use my story for your sermon. So here we are. Thank you, Judy. Judy and I had a, had a long chat that was hard and fruitful, I hope and I pray. But it seems to me that the struggle that Judy has and the struggle that we have this morning is not in understanding what God tells us about forgiveness. It's not about the black and white skeleton of forgive so you can be forgiven. It's about that tender flesh of living in that skeleton. Scripture is quite clear, like we sang about it all morning. Jesus has forgiven an abundance of sins for each one of us. He died for every lie that we've told or morsel of gossip that crossed our lips. He died for harsh words and judgmental thoughts, for impure actions. His blood is sufficient for everything that I could ever fathom to be wrong, and it's sufficient for each one of us. The only thing that's attached, like the string that's attached to God's grace, is that he wants us to forgive as we have been forgiven. We are not, like the servant in this story, to throttle others for any wrong, however profound they commit against us. In order to receive forgiveness, we have to extend it. There's no way around it. It just is what it is. Scripture is clear that the consequences for not forgiving are severe and the benefits are extraordinary. And so forgiveness really should be a no-brainer. But, oh, is this so much easier said than done. It's easy to forgive someone for cutting in front of us in traffic, maybe easier for some of us than others. It's easy to forgive someone for stepping on our toes or even saying the wrong thing without meaning to. But what about the invitations that never came? The children that cut us off? The comment that still makes our hearts kind of sink a little bit? What about rejection? Scars that never seem to heal? Bad things done in secret? Burnt bridges, broken down trust. What about accusations that keep us up at night? Gaping, infected wounds left by those that we trusted the most. What about those long, scabbed over spots that we just really hope we never have to think about or look at ever again? These tender places are the places where forgiveness does its most holy and mysterious work. 
And I think that's why Jesus was so clear about forgiveness. As I was preparing for this message, I read this book, The Art of Forgiving by Lewis Smedes. He talks a lot about forgiveness. And he says that forgiving is a gift that God has given us for healing ourselves. Now imagine with me that you invite me to your house. I come over and I'm hoping there's coffee. We sit and we have a good cup of coffee. And you get up and you go to the restroom and I proceed to absolutely trash your house. Like I'm emptying the milk on the kitchen floor. I'm ripping your cushions. Just a disaster. And I leave. I get in my clean car and I leave. And you're at home with your house. Completely trashed. Now you've got a choice here. There's a few ways that you can respond. Now you can drive over to my house and attempt to teepee my lawn or trash my car or, you know, something. you got to do something, right? Or you can just stay home. You can let it go and you can leave your house a mess because if you leave it a mess, then there will always be evidence of what was done so that someday maybe I'll come over and see what I did and I'll feel bad and I'll say sorry. Keep the evidence in the house. Or you can clean up the mess that I left in your house and you can set up some healthy boundaries. Perhaps we're having coffee at Mr. Burger next time. You can think about how we're going to move forward, right? Now, this sounds nuts. It would be ridiculous to come trash my yard. It would kick off a never-ending cycle of messes. Like, like, when you start playing this game, when does it stop? It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Revenge never bears fruit, and it never ends. It's a cycle. And it would be equally ridiculous to leave the house a mess. Why would you want to perpetually live in a mess that someone else created? You want your clean house back, whether I come help you with it or not, right? Revenge is a cycle that never ends. And sitting in the yuck of what others have inflicted upon us is, as Jesus said, a prison. But there's good news. We as humans are capable of cleaning our houses. Some of us more so than others. We are capable of healing from the damage that others have inflicted upon us. It is possible for us to move forward after experiencing incredible wounding. And the way for that is forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's way of helping us heal from the pain that we cause one another. It is like a, it's like a built-in reset button that keeps the relational fibers of this earth going. As I did a deep dive study of forgiveness, I realized that um, forgiveness is one of those words that we say and assume that we all think it means X, but there's just a lot of gray. Like what, what really is forgiveness? What is it? What isn't it? And what does it look like? And so I learned a lot and I want to share a few things with you. And again, before I start naming this, I just want to acknowledge that there's so much nuance to forgiveness, just as there was with confrontation. So I I can't hit it all, but I'm going to give you what was fruitful to me with the hope that it's fruitful to you. So first, forgiveness is not minimizing what happened. We don't stuff it. We don't forget what happened. We don't brush it under the rug. In fact, there is such sweet justice to forgiveness and that it requires brutal honesty. 
In order to forgive someone, we need to name exactly what they did and how it affected us. If we don't name it, that pain lives on somewhere deep inside of us. Second, extending forgiveness does not require an apology from the perpetrator or even a conversation with them. I don't know about you, but there are many things that I've kind of waited around on for someone else to have a conversation with me to let go. Does anyone do this? Now, that's ideal, right? We all want that moment where the truth is on the table and we're restored and we get to hear what we need to hear. But that's not the case. To wait for an apology from the perpetrator is to willingly shackle oneself to pain and to throw away the key. Like, we get to clean our houses. We have to be able to forgive people whether they say they're sorry or they're not and whether they communicate with us or not. Third, forgiveness is not an invitation for someone to do that same thing to us over and over again. Have you ever believed this lie, right? Like if I let it go, they'll just keep doing it. Yeah, I see some heads. (laughs) We've done this, right? But here's the thing. Sometimes we forgive internally on our own. And from that place, you name what the problem was, and you can set up boundaries to not end up there again. And other times, you get to have that conversation in which it's exposed for someone, perhaps what they've done and the impact of it, and so it stops. You're actually more prone to experience the same pain again if you just stuff it, because then nobody nobody knows, and we can't, can't navigate that. Either way, we can forgive without inviting further issue. Fourth, Forgiveness is not about letting someone off the hook or helping them to escape consequences. I think this is the biggest one. I was reminded of Eva Moses Kaur. Has anyone ever heard of her? She's, she's famous for forgiveness ministries. She survived Auschwitz as a child, and she famously said that getting even has never healed a single person, and she got up in public and forgave her captors from Auschwitz and her abusers. Her forgiveness did not imply that none of those Nazis would stand trial and sentencing at Nuremberg, nor that God would not deal with them justly at the end. Justice is not in our own personal hands. If someone does something unspeakable to us, forgiving them is about ensuring that our tomorrows are not forever held hostage to the pain of yesterday. It does not mean that your perpetrator will not face justice in this life or in the next. Fifth, forgiveness also does not require reunion. Did you know that? When we forgive someone, we don't have to go back to exactly the way the relationship was before. It takes one person to forgive, and it takes two willing, honest, vulnerable parties to reconcile, and it takes time to build trust. So you can forgive someone and still have some space and work through rebuilding that trust. And this is the final one I've got. All of this applies to ourselves. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. Jesus said that when we refuse to forgive, we're handed over to jailers to be tortured. The reality is that when we don't forgive, we give the devil a foothold, and there's room for bitterness and resentment to grow, for division to take root. But the beauty of our sermon, our message for this morning, is that the opposite is true. Because forgiveness is so often the door 
through which we get to experience freedom. How many of us know this? Forgiveness has set us free. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it really is the road to freedom. Smeads wrote in his book that we forgive when we feel a strong wish to be free from pain that glues us to a bruised moment of the past. We forgive when we want to overcome the resentment that separates us from the person who wounded us. We forgive when we feel God's spirit nudging us with an impulse to pull ourselves out of the sledge of our disabling resentment. We forgive when we're ready to move towards a future unshackled from a painful past that cannot be undone. Forgiveness is a gift that keeps on giving. It set us free from our sins at the cross, and forgiveness sets us free from the sins of one another in this life. Friends, do you see how this is such good news? Jesus died to forgive us, and that restores us. And we get to forgive one another. And you know what that means? That means that we get to be in unity. We get to do relationship. We get to learn and grow from one another. We get to grow up in fullness. And so as we come to a close... I want to make a little bit of space for the Lord to move. But I also want to name that this is, um, like as Carolyn said this morning, I thought I was through forgiveness with X, Y, and Z, and there's more to go. As I've been working through this sermon, I said to Pastor Dave earlier this week, I've forgiven people this week that I forgot existed. Like just little things that you stuff and don't move on. And so my sense is that we're starting a process this morning. Perhaps I'm jumping in on a process with some of us who are working through forgiveness on our own. Um, But I believe that God is restoring us to understand his forgiveness and grace for us more, that we may extend it to one another. So I'm going to invite the worship team up, and um, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll, we'll sit in some space for a minute. God, we bless you for the gift of forgiveness. Lord, we bless you for um, your extravagant goodness to us. And Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us in a greater measure to understand your mercy for us, what you've done for us. And Lord, I believe that you are in the business of setting people free and you're in that business this morning. And so, Lord, if there are areas of unforgiveness that any of us is carrying, that has given the enemy a foothold, that holds us back, we pray that you would expose that, that you would soften our hearts, Lord, and that you would set us free. Would you empower us to forgive, to name what was done, to express forgiveness, and to give it to you. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak in each one as we sit in your presence.